0: Here we are again, and we're going into chapter three of one Corinthians. And (coughs) I want you to think to begin with a little bit about the birth of the church, uh, which took place, of course, at Pentecost. That's when The church, you could say, was born. And that's important because you will all recall that the pathway of travail that had occurred involved Jesus, of course, and in particular, we could mention his apostles. You may never have thought of it as a travail. Uh, you, you know that um, Jesus, of course, uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. And he came with the express purpose of bearing testimony. And essentially, the testimony of Jesus is to justify his Father. Now, you may never have thought of it that way, but Jesus came to reveal his Father, the true nature of God. So that the true nature of God, his Father, being revealed the father's name would be cleared that might sound a strange thing to say but there had been for how long we do not know a outpouring of lies about God they had begun Of course, in heaven, and they had begun in the heart of a one of the great angels, where some people think he was an archangel, which means one of the head ones. Some people talk about Gabriel being an archangel. Raphael we don't read about him in the Bible but he is in the Apocrypha being another arch angel like you have an archbishop over the bishops so that sort of principle of hierarchy and some say that Lucifer was an arch angel certainly he was a creature and uh, is a creature of great, And immense powers, all of which are derived and continually given to him by God, even now. Lucifer has no independent life, Uh, neither do you, neither do I, neither does Boris, neither does uh, Trump or Biden or whoever you want to talk about. We receive our breath From God. Whether we hate him or not. Whether we fight against him or not. He is the creator. And the sustainer. And the giver of life. And if he were to cease giving life. We would cease to be. If he was to cease giving life. Of course to Lucifer. Who is... Now known as by various names, the devil, which of course has a meaning, Um, Satan, Satanas, that has a meaning, or different names have different meanings for what he has become and his activities. His activities come out of his being. His activities come out of his being. His works. Come out of his being. The same as the works of Jesus come out of his being. His nature. And so the Lord, when he came, he came to bear testimony. He tells you that as he speaks before Pilate. You remember how he spoke to Pilate about why he was there to bear testimony. He, he uses the word. If you want to look at it, I know I said we were going into 1 Corinthians, we'll get there. But if you look in John's Gospel and the Lord Jesus standing there um, before Pilate um, in, in chapter 18, And toward the end of the chapter, uh, Pilate, um, verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus is much more than that. Everybody in those days were hampered by their restricted thinking. Everything was wrapped up in Jewishness, Jewish expectations and so on. And for Pilate, any king would have been a threat to the uh, kingship of the emperor. So are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him. Are you... Speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom, my realm is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here, doesn't have its origin from here. I don't receive authority from here. My realm is not from here. It doesn't have beginnings here on the earth. It's not the place where it comes from, where its source is. Bear this in mind about the church. Because the church doesn't have its origins here. It does not have its origins in any natural gift you possess. possess. Doesn't have its origins in any kind of brilliance of your mind. Doesn't have any its origins. Doesn't. Doesn't. It comes from somewhere else. Jesus came from above. It is that simple thing, by the way, That has not been understood by multitudes who've tried to build churches. Which is why they have often built social clubs with certain belief systems. And that's still going on today. Approved belief systems. So some services are nothing more than that. The gathering socially of people who've espoused certain ideas about God that may or may not have been culled from the scripture. Because what has been built has been principally coming out of powers of men and women here. Well-intentioned maybe. It's one of the reasons why sometimes... I would go into YouTube and listen to someone talk and immediately turn it off for he has nothing to say from God. From heaven. It's all coming out of his own mind and maybe the Bible college or that he went to. It may or may not be true but the words that he's speaking are not spirit and they're not life. Now Jesus came and he says these things, and he says in verse it uh, My kingdom's not from here. So in verse thirty seven Pilate he is uh, pressing. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice so the question is he came to bear witness of the truth not what's he talking about who's he talking about if the wicked one has filled heaven and managed to deceive a third of the angels with the lie and the lie is essentially, we're independent. I'm God. We don't need God. The opposite, of course, the truth, the truth, of course, is God is the truth. So you could put behind the word truth here, I came to bear witness to the truth. Behind that in brackets you could say, my father. I came to bear witness to the nature, the character of my father. I came to reveal my father. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, every one of us here have uh, drunk of the satanic cup. We've believed the lie. We've doubted the integrity of God. We may even have doubted his existence, and all of those kinds of things. And. Jesus came to to dissolve all those untruths. It's God love. If God exists, he's made a creation that's messed up and like a watchmaker didn't bother to fix the thing properly. You know what's he going to do about it? Jesus came to reveal no God isn't a watchmaker who just made a mechanism and then let it tick away and all these kinds of untruths and so on by his coming and his ministry and his death he proved that God his father is a promise keeper he's a promise keeper he's a covenant keeper even unto death He revealed the nature of his father. All this has a bearing on what the church is here for. By Jesus' life, as well as his words, his works came out and linked completely in marriage with his words. And his words and his works were simply the expression of his being. Every step. And there's much more to it than that. But it is very, very wonderful to realise what the truth is. And how much we've drunk into the lie. And how wickedly the wicked one continues to... You know when something goes wrong and things are not don't seem to be fitting well, God's forgotten. Well, of course he doesn't forget. Jesus revealed that, you see. And there's so much that we could say about it. And you know that the Lord Jesus gathered around himself as he was bearing this witness. He gathered around himself men that we call disciples, apostles, and other disciples and ladies were drawn to him. And he gathered them around him. And he had to carry them with with him somewhere. And the thing that he had to carry them to was the end of themselves. And probably almost many people's favourite, of course, is Peter. And part of the genius of Peter, of course, was that he lived his name. His name, Simon, means one who hears. Probably you knew that. But in the, in the Hebrew, it means someone who... Who listens. Someone who hears. Your name is Simon. Son of Jonah. John. It's a form of John. Jonah is a form of John. And that means grace. The gracious one. You are Simon. Son of grace. You shall be Peter. The stone you shall become a solid man because you're a listener. But Peter had to be led through to the end of his self-reliance, his confidence that he could do it. And you can remember this in this very Gospel of John, how Peter you know, said that he could go with the Lord and, you know, into everything, you know, I'll die with you. you. You remember, and if you check the other Gospels, so said they all. So said they all. So Peter was the one who spoke it out most publicly then Jesus, you remember in the Luke account, Jesus says, oh, Satan hath dev- desired to have you and sift you like wheat. And if I say this to you, Satan was on the scene all the time to sift these, these apostles, to sift them. And the you, this is Luke 21 by the way, I won't turn you to it. Satan has desired to have you, it's plural. It's plural, the you is plural. And sift you like wheat, plural. But I've prayed for you. Peter, singular. That your faith will not fail. And when you are converted, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Do you know that scripture? I'm assuming you all know it. From Luke 21, the plural and the singular so often of one out of twelve <laughs> being it necessary for him to be particularly strengthened so that he can strengthen his brethren it's it's a remarkable thing Simon Satan has desired to have you all of you and sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. I prayed for you. I know what you're going to go through. I know your nature. I know. And so they went through, and Peter went through, and they were stripped men. That's what I'm getting at. They were emptied. They were emptied alongside Jesus. And uh, they were humbled. They were men who'd known and done deeds. Healings and preachings. And Jesus had sent them out and distributed a little of his power delegating it for certain works but their beings had not yet been changed because the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified and now Lord Jesus was glorified after his ascension sat down at the right hand of the Father and these very men humbled waiting, expectant, not knowing the detail, realising things about the kingdom which had not yet, for Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom. You remember Acts 1. He'd taken time with them, and uh, with some of them, he had made their hearts burn. As he opened to them the scriptures. And they saw Christ in all the scriptures. Things concerning himself. It was a time of much opening. But still it was not. Imbued with life from above. And then the wonderful day happened where the church was born. And it was born from above. When a body is born, the head, God doesn't bring forth any breach birth in his spirit, in the spirit. And you know, a babe comes out of the womb head first. And our Lord Jesus was born. He's the head of the church. And he came from the dead by the power of the Father. And 50 days later, the shoulders, we could put it this way, came out. I'm thinking of Christ and the body. All right. That's what I'm just trying to show because nature teaches us these things. And the head came first. And joined to the head. You know, Peter and all the others, you know, they were waiting there in obedience. They were joined to the head and then they were born. They were birthed. They were baptized. Can I say something to you about biblical terminology? Can I say this to you? No one set of terms is adequate to say all that is in what God does. So he will use a number of terms. All words are metaphors. You may never have thought of that before, but they are. Baptism in the Spirit. Is just saying an aspect. Born from above. Just saying it in another way. Sealed with the Spirit. Saying yet another aspect. In fact, you see, one term can't say it all. And yet, because of people's experience because of the penchant of men's minds to try and uh, analyse it and put it all in boxes doctrinally, theologically biblical theology, systematic theology and so on, pastoral theology you know, so they get separated but you see no one term is sufficient to say it all And it is most wonderful, and in your experience, of course, in my experience, we may realise these things in our experience, almost appearing to be separate, you know, Uh, but in fact they're one, in fact they're one. And men and women in the churches have tripped up one another and bickered with one another and divided over terms and so on and so forth. And that's a sad thing. You know, because they wanted to assert one aspect, perhaps, that was neglected for hundreds of years earlier. And then they separate from others. But not so with these blessed apostles because they they tripped over, of course, some of them over the, you know, where did the Jews stand in it all and the Gentile and when it's different now and the churches, you know, and must have been incredible for them, mustn't it, when this sound from heaven came. And filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were filled. And they were released into utterance. And they began to bear the testimony. And their chief spokesperson that day was the Apostle Peter. Who standing up with the eleven in a glorious solidarity that he spoke of God. Prior to that, the people who had gathered, had gathered because they'd heard all these 120 men and women speaking with other tongues, which people could understand, and they were speaking the wonderful works of God. They were bearing testimony. Do you understand that? They were speaking in tongues that were foreign to them. Though at the time of speaking, they may not have even realized, you see, that they were speaking in tongues foreign to them. Maybe they did. But on that occasion, all these people who were gathered in Jerusalem heard the words, the works of God. Being spoken. There's the testimony. God's works. God's works in their own language. It's all in the Bible. Chapter Acts two, all right, I'm quoting exactly. They spoke the wonderful works of God. And so there's this release of utterance uh, of the works of God. In changed men and women who were filled and the house was filled and <clears throat> they were filled and with the spirit that caused them to glorify God with boldness. Uh, they seemed to shed their fear, the fear that they'd been living with and they were like lions. In a way. And God had his vessel to bear his testimony. The testimony of his faithfulness. And you know, if you were to look at Peter's speech or sermon or message that he preached that day. Oh God, 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 God. That's how he talks. And then he says, God has raised up Jesus whom you crucified. He talks about God and then Jesus. And then they say, What should we do? What should we do? They were pricked in their consciences. Do you know, the... Busy activity of apologetics today is a testimony to the church's weakness not to its strength. It's a testimony to the fact that we haven't understood that God by his spirit speaks to the consciences of men not just to their powers of reasonings. You can convince Someone in, in their reason of the veracity of truth. But they'll never pass into the life of God unless their conscience becomes utterly convicted and convinced. And that is the arena of the work of the Spirit. So there are lots of people who are around in churches today who are mentally assured of certain biblical promises, facts about God and His Son, but their conscience. And when Peter spoke that day because God was speaking through him, they were pricked in their consciences. And you must remember, this is what happened to the genius man all it's hard for you to kick against the pricks and you'll never be anything for God if you're not prepared to live faithful to the convincings and convictings that the spirit of God brings to your conscience You've got to live from there. You've got to live from there. You've got to live from there even your, though your mind will excuse or accuse or, you know, and blessed is the man and the woman who's grown to a measure of maturity Where conscience, spirit of God in conscience and through conscience, mind and intellect agree and affections and will all agree so that that man is a unified man in his being. You get me? This is important. For many are double-minded. That's why their faith is unstable. Whereas the Lord, this is something he showed me 50 years ago and more. You know where I began to realize that there is a preaching that appeals to the intellect. There are meetings that appeal to the affectional, emotional realm. There are ministers who move people emotionally. And conversions that are based on either of those are inadequate. But when God is really talking to a man and a woman, he speaks to their inner conscience and will. He speaks to them in their affections. Do you love me? Will you love me? He speaks reasonably to their mind. But mind is not first. And those people said, Men and brethren, what should we do? (laughs) And then Peter mentions the Holy Ghost, doesn't he? Be baptized. Every one of you. Be baptized. In this rejected name, this Jesus' name. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's how God births the church and 3,000 were added that day. Have you ever thought about the logistics of baptising 3,000 people by the way? <laughs> That's quite a... Um, quite a feat, you'd be pretty tired, I, I don't know, I suppose most I've baptised at once, maybe 15, and uh, you know, mind you the adrenaline rises doesn't it? <laughs> we used to have wonderful baptisms in the sea my wife was baptised in the sea and uh, down in Worthing I remember anyway that's beside the point, but uh, it's good to be you must. But um, so you see the place of the Spirit in the birth of the church. And if you were to continue through the acts of the, August- the apostles and just look at the work of the Spirit there, you see, if you were to just do that, You would find that he's the prime mover. They're a dependent people. They had no confidence in themselves. When they failed to obey uh, as swiftly as they should have done, you remember the Lord saw to it. Because, you know, the Lord had said to them, you're to be my witnesses unto me there it is again first in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria uttermost parts of the earth and of course they never even got so far as Samaria for several years until the Lord gave them a big nudge by the martyrdom of Stephen that was a big nudge and wasn't it and uh, right they got out except the apostles it says in chapter 8 of acts the apostles still um, stayed back in jerusalem uh, they had to be loose from that you know and then we find peter you know and john they have to go down to samaria in chapter 8 because there's been a move of god there but they haven't received the spirit yet you see, and they go down there, and so the church, by the activity of the Spirit, and, and then there's Paul, isn't there, and who is reached, and the Lord's been pricking him in his conscience, and he's present at the, at the martyrdom of Stephen, and so the Lord is building his church <coughs> from heaven. And that's what leads you into the third chapter of One Corinthians, because of course there we we find Paul alluding to events that had happened uh, twenty years almost later fifteen maybe where he had arrived in Corinth. And ministered in that city with his party. And you must remember that Paul didn't travel alone. So in some ways he was accompanied by several others. So they were like a mobile church, uh, if I could put it that way. You know, peripatetic church, a group of them, two or three gathered together, and you know, there's the Lord in the midst of them by the Spirit. And he stirred in his heart, and, and he, he says that, uh, in chapter three here, he's referring back to this, and he says this, verse ten, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. That's what I did when I came. The grace of God, I worked according to the grace of God that was given to me. I didn't hang back from that grace of God. I didn't go beyond that grace of God. He could just have easily said, the grace of God in the gifts and ministries of the Spirit that were given to me to minister the Word and other things. And so I laid the foundation. No other foundation Among you. I know what I did. I know where I brought you. I did not bring you. To a belief system. I brought you to a person. You fell in love with that person. That person drew near to you. That's what happened. That's the foundation I laid. You were not standing on your own virtue. You discovered you had none. You had no standing before God. I brought you to all the virtue and the value that is in Jesus. That's where I brought you. I laid the foundation in the church. I brought you to God and i brought god to you in fact paul when he says this he's prefaced his remarks by verse 9 talking about apollos as well he says we are god's fellow workers your god's field your god's building uh, we we are not working on our own. This isn't the Paul ministry. Amen. You know this isn't the 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 Apollos ministry. This isn't the Peter ministry. We are God's fellow workers. It's God who's working. It's God who works. It's God who's been working. That's why He says, if you begin in verse five. five Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed? So vivid. Through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. What's the Lord given you? What's the Lord given me? Was it here? I was somewhere recently. The grace given to me for you. That's a verse in Ephesians. I don't think it was here. I don't remember where it was. In Ephesians chapter 3, 4. The grace given to me for you. That's what Paul says. The grace given to me... For you. You see, God gives grace... To you, for you. Of course he does. He'll give you grace... For you... Day by day. Grace for you. Grace for tomorrow. Be not anxious about tomorrow. He'll give you grace... You, you've got to learn to depend on that grace. You've got to learn to be a living testimony. He cares. And he does. He cares for the ordinary and the extraordinary. He cares. A very uh, delightful young woman who's part of the fellowship where I was this morning. And... Uh, She's come to the Lord in the last four or five years and she's one of those, hmm, how do you describe some people, very emotionally moved and uh, you know, and uh, she gave a little testimony she said you know you you know you don't listen uh, you don't i don't say much in meaning. that's kind of how she began and so on and so forth which is true and then she said but i want to say something she said do you know somehow the word calm came to me and i had a little snicker about this because she's not uh, given to calmness and uh, the calm and she said all this week I've been in such difficult circumstances in my work and yet every day calm calm and I want to give myself a pat on the back she said (laughs) I've been calm and That's the grace of God, which I think was said to her. That's God's grace to you. Because just what you need, my dear, just what you need. You see the grace that's given to you for you, for your circumstances. But then beyond that, there's the grace of God that's given to you for me. Or for the other, the grace given to me for you. That's how Paul says it. And he was so thrilled, you know. That's how he talked about his ministry. You know, you must never think, because when we get on in some week's time to talk in some depth about the gifts and the ministries of the Spirit, which we will get to by his grace, you know... You never think about them when you know more about the grace. When you realise it's just... In fact, often you don't even realise. Oh, and then someone... That was a gift of the Spirit. That was this. Oh, was it? Doesn't matter. They're just terms to go some small way in expressing... A particular expression of God's grace. Everything is grace. Means by which grace comes. The gift of tongues that some of us have never heard properly used. And I feel sorry for you if you've never heard them properly used. They can be most Beautiful, just in themselves, though you don't understand a word, they can be a release for you of expression and adoration, though you don't know what you're saying. And then when they are interpreted, sometimes in their maturer use, I've heard some most beautiful things in tongues and interpretation. You know, these things do have their place. And they still are for today, no matter what people say. They are still, but sadly, they are not. I can remember times in my experience, especially when you are with one or two other brothers and sisters who are familiar with these gifts. And sometimes the spirit of prophecy can come. And one, it's like a river. And it's like heaven comes down. And fresh understandings unfold. You know, but it's all grace. They're just ways in which God wants to bless us. With his testimony, with his person, with his nature and it's always deeper than the utterances themselves the words that are said grace has been ministered to me by a hug I mean that I remember one time when we were on holiday briefly my wife and I down in Charmouth, I think it was and we decided we'd heard of a of a house church in Exeter. And we drove across the iPhone and said, can we come? I don't know whether, maybe I'd met one of the brothers before. And we went to the house. It was a big house. And the brother there, uh, whose name happened to be Love, his surname, and uh, he'd been a banker uh, with HSBC as it was, Hong Kong and Shanghai, Banking Corporation, Hong Kong. And he'd been one of the high-ups, and he'd lived the good life. He'd married a wife in India, because he was posted at one stage to uh, Bombay, Mumbai. And uh, he was there, in, uh, and uh, he he got into the good life, the liquor, the booze, and all that sort of stuff his wife was an anglican she was a church attender i actually preached in the church in pune where she was part of when she was a little girl and this this um, man was pensioned off at the age of about 50 as a drunk as an alcoholic and <clears throat> ended up in England, he was English, they came back, his wife came and they were living in a place called Farnborough and he was working as a caretaker in an old Anglican church and a certain man uh, came to visit from the north of England invited to preach in that church and was deposited in the home of this man who by this time was off his bottle but didn't know the Lord and was sweeping the things, you know. And that was his work. <clears throat> Utterly humbled. And uh, he met the Lord. The man, during that man's visit, that he met the Lord. He was born of God. Wonderful. I tell you a funny thing about this as well. That man who was visiting and was staying in that house, he preached and something he'd forgotten, he'd written on a bit of paper in his Bible. Anyway, in the time that, you know, he went back to the north and this couple, in time, they moved to Exeter into this house. They had this burden for God's church. They wanted to see God's church birthed, and they managed to get this house, big Georgian house, and they began meetings there. It was all very primitive, and so on. And then this man in the north just knew that he should. Uh, his time was coming to an end with his wife in the north, and then he was invited down to their house in Exeter. And would you move down and live with us? There's enough room for you and let's see God uh, establish a church. And so this brother in the north said, yes, we'll come down. And he was packing and he threw an old Bible in his box and as it fell open, out of it slipped a piece of paper with a date on it which said I am in the house of Bob and Nora Love ministering he has come to the Lord and the Lord has shown me that I will be bound up in the ministry of God with this couple in time to come (laughs) God's ways God's ways grace you see but anyway Hayes and I arrived in this house and, you know, we just were visiting. And Bob said to me, can I show you around the house? We haven't finished it yet. It's this, that, and the other. We were the ones who ended up finishing it when we moved there in the end. But, you know, we stood by the mantel shelf, marble one, and he he just put his arms around me and gave me such a big hug oh Bernard I'm so glad to see you and something was imparted to me that day grace came through the love of that brother and those few words so glad to see you you see this is the thing Uh, to live by grace through faith and that not of yourselves you got to have faith that the grace is going to come to you without ceasing that if you were to be thrown to the lions that the grace would come to you for that the grace would come through faith and that faith not of yourselves it's very wonderful you see and dear Paul, he talks about this grace that has come to him. we're just ministers as the Lord gave to each one. Verse 6, I'm the planter. I, in Corinth, I planted. You know, that was, that's, what, that's what I did. And Apollos came after me and he watered. But God gave the increase. God gave the increase. You see, some of us become too flattered by our own ideas of what our gifts are. You've got to let God make you. You've got to let God do it. And much of true ministry is little to do with someone trying to assess where your gifts are they rise and show themselves forth as you live in the grace hallelujah hallelujah i was speaking to a in a conference Some years ago, and in that conference I happened to mention a Nepali man who I'd been with, named Peter Rapgay. I only mentioned him in passing, in a a preaching. And I was back in that conference the following year, and a lady came to me, and she came, gave me an envelope with a hundred pounds in it. She said, are you going back? Will you see Peter Rapke? And I said, well, yeah, I happen to be going back. Will you take this, change it into their money and give it to them? And I I said, yes, I'll do that for you. I said, how did you get it? What's happened? She said, my husband is not a believer. He hardly lets me go out of the house. He has full control of all the money. He will let not let me give money to anything. So how did you get the money? She said, I got bits of old cloth. I embroidered them. Made them into those things you lay on tables. You know? And uh, I embroidered them and I sold them to friends. I've been doing it all the year and that's what I got grace given to her and the patience to do the embroidery amen amen as such as the lord gives you within the limitations and the parameters of your life and according to you and it's this is all church this is all church she served the church in nepal by doing that (laughs) you know Where our hearts have got to get much larger in understanding. And then we'll be freed up in our utterance. You see, this is what Paul says. This is how he talks. I laid the foundation. God gives the increase. So then, verse 7, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God. But God, who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That's important, isn't it? And I know that Paul could really agree with that. Because he knew Apollos. And Apollos was a very different man to him. But there was no spirit of jealousy. Nothing at all. We're one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. I never think about that, by the way. You know, but I suppose I'm (laughs) labouring. It's a delightful labour. You know, I've been labouring. You know, it's it's great. It's great. When you talk to people, when you share with people, when you're up in the middle of the night sometimes and you're just before God, you're kind of laboring, you're thinking and it's wonderful. Wonderful. And you're packing up the chairs, you're laboring. <laughs> Yeah, you don't stop packing up the chairs and uh, things like that. You know, real pastors are the first ones in and the last ones out. <laughs> so I've learned. <laughs> and uh, it's lovely labour. We're God's follow work, fellow workers. You're God's field, your God's building. Hands off. No ownership. No personal ownership. <laughs> it's God's. Ah, and Paul says, I laid the foundation. Do you know, uh, there's, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians I want to turn you to about this foundation. Um, because Paul is so sure about this But he talks about it in a different way, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And this will help us a little bit. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You do bear with me. Well, we all have to bear with one another, don't we? You have to bear with me going over time and telling you to go to 1 Corinthians 3 and then going into Luke and I don't know where. <laughs> oh, it does all good to be forbearing. <laughs> but you do bear with me, Paul says. I, I, what did that mean to them? There must have been something about all... Uh, even his speech, apparently, sometimes he mentions it, doesn't he? My speech wasn't very good, not like Apollo's. You know, perhaps you didn't like my grammar, or I spoke with an educated lisp, or something, and you didn't like the way I said my R's, or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know whether you say, I know you don't say R in Hebrew, but anyway... You do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's defining, in other words, what he did When he was there. In the 1 Corinthians 3 chapter he says I laid the foundation. And no other foundation can be laid. Except Jesus Christ. That's what I brought to you. I brought him to you. Now he turns the terminology for the same thing. And he says I betrothed you to one husband. Even to Jesus Christ. No one is begun in the Christian life who hasn't fallen in love with Jesus. Espoused to one husband. That's why Paul, when he, sorry, Jesus, when he speaks to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2. One two. He says you've left your first love. You do not ever lose your first love. There is something that you go to instead of. You leave. In their case they had left the simplicities of love with Jesus, and they had become searchers after orthodoxy, doctrinaire people. That's Revelation two. As a result of that, they were dry. Jesus said I will remove the candlestick because the fire that keeps the light burning is love. Love. That's the fire. The fire of love. Hallelujah. I'll take away the candlestick. All you'll have is just a candlestick. All you, you see, things without love are scaffolding. That's the thing. Because you must remember, we're bearing witness to God. We're living witnesses to him. To his, his person and his works. And his works are all love. All love, because he is love. And if I'm bearing witness, if I, if I leave the love. Do you know, Jesus speaks to another church in chapter three, three of Revelation. It's the church at Thyatira. And he says I know your works Your love It's the first thing he mentions Your love And then he says And your works Exceed The works you did at first Do you know why that was? Because of their love They had left first love for maturer love. So some of you who have been married a good few decades, you'll know something about this. You'll know something about maturer love between you and your wife. You will know about love maturing into friendship. you will know about love and that love will produce maturer works am I right? kinder works more understanding works you will more express that love much more maturely you, will, you see maturer love your, your works exceed the, the works that you did at first Isn't that something to go on into? In contrast to the Ephesian church who were told that they must do the works that they did at first. They'd left their love and they'd left the works they did at first. You know, it's the love that imbues the works with all its value. It's the works. The love imbues the works. Hallelujah. That's why Paul says, changing the terms, that I betrothed you to one husband. Brought you there. I know you met Jesus. I know you loved him. And then he says this, I fear, verse 3, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Can I ask you if in your Bible you have another word as well as simplicity? Sincere and pure devotion, I Pure devotion. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's interesting. And sincere. Sincere. Yeah. It's interesting. There are two words in some translations from the certain manuscripts, and there's one word, you know... One of the, it's the sincere devotion, you know. Do, do you know this word that's in my Bible, simplicity? Simplicity. Simplicity that's in Christ. I, I've, I've been very anxious about what I've seen over the 20 or 30 years more recently Of what's happened in many churches. That they've left the simplicity. The simplicity of the delight. Of meeting. With Christ. With one another. The simplicity of meeting. Without. With the minimum of props. The simplicity of gathering. You know. Just to be together. In him. Can you can you think about this a little bit? Because it has a bearing. It has a bearing on what we are here for. Keep it simple. Don't incorporate all the machinery. You don't need the machinery. If you're really working in the grace... You don't have to be a cool dude to reach the young people. You don't have to wear jeans with rips in them. I mean it. This is part of the stupidity that's gotten into some of the courses on ministry in the colleges. The idea of identification with the people. You know, be a cool dude amongst the cool dudes you know that many parents are laughed at by their children in their teenage years because, you know, mum wants to sort of be, sort of, she's 50 going on 21. Don't have to be. That's the thing. It's so important departure from the simplicity. Departure. So challenging. You know a teenager has a conscience. And they know when their mum and dad's being real. Where their mum and dad are crying, where the mum and dad are laughing teenager will see beyond all that their conscience will register reality in mum reality in dad reality in the faith that that is being manifested they will register in their conscience that's the thing in the teenagers I always remember a man who said to me a long while ago He said to me, I lived in trees, we were Jesus people, we were in California and we were really cool and fantastic. We'd begun to have babies and we thought we were great. We'd been, you know, just hippies and then we'd come to the Lord and we had preachers come through. And uh, oh, some of them we listened to and some of them tried to identify with us. And then he said, then this man came one night and he he stood and all the kids were sleeping all over the place and it was pretty chaotic meeting. And it came for him to speak and he got up and he stood on the edge of the makeshift platform and he looked at us all and he said, I've come to talk to you about God. And that man said to me, no one had ever said that before. I'd have followed that man to the end of the earth. That's what he said. I understand that clearly. His conscience registered. Here was a man who knew God. So that's where that's where the church has got to come back to. It's testimony. Where the reality is. The love, the espousal to Jesus Christ betrothed you to one husband. And all ministry rises from the place of love. It's that that imbues a song with wings. When the singer loves, doesn't matter whether they're, you know, warbling. And the stylistic things that are taught nowadays. I was listen- listening to Harry Connick. Sorry if any of you don't know who Harry Connick is very brilliant musician actor jazz pianist blah blah but he's one of those tutors where these people come on the voice or whatever it is in America and I just happened to catch 5 minutes and of Harry where a, 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 an aspiring young singer has come And this girl proceeds to sing. And now the purple dusk of twilight time steals across the meadows of my heart. Mm, Lovely song. And she proceeds to warble it. And he stops her. He says, you don't need to do that. Whoever's taught you that is wrong. You don't sing that song like that. The values in the melody and the words and the song. Sing it from your heart, not with technique. And I thought, Harry, I understand what you're saying. Amazing, you see. It's love in the heart. that gives wings to a song. Do you know the glory of God in the song? Will only come forth when the glory is in you. <laughs> That's the way of it, you see. And the song becomes a gift the song becomes something that unlocks you. If you are a songwriter, anyone here who aspires in that direction, you soak in this book. Like Charles Wesley did. (laughs) So that every line is filled with the things of God all he wanted to do was bear testimony to God and that's what he did and so among the people who couldn't read they learnt their doctrine through the songs they sang that was, that was so wonderful I espoused you to one husband Stay there. Stay there in the simplicity. Don't give way to another spirit. Don't give way to another gospel. That's what he's going to say. If the serpent defiled or deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus... Whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit. Now there's something to shock you. As it shocked me many years ago. It's possible for a church. To receive another spirit. Where the foundation. Had been laid properly in the lives of people and they'd been brought to Jesus Christ. Then they got fascinated with Judaism, Messianic Christianity, until it became an obsession with them. And you see, how can that be? I know a young man who got fascinated with that. I jokingly said to his sister, tell him that Uncle Bernard says, Well, if you're fascinated with that, go and get circumcised. And she said to me, something that shocked me to my core. He already has. You say, where does that come from? A different spirit. Because the Spirit of God will focus you on Jesus Christ and through Jesus to the Father, not on wearing a skullcap. Not on observing the Passover. Not on observing this and that and the other. You understand me? It's a different spirit. Just like if you begin to depart and get fascinated with, oh, you know, this doctrine and that doctrine. I tell you, brothers and sisters, I, uh, there was a lovely man. I loved him. And uh, he'd been a missionary in Africa, and a few of you may remember him. He was a lovely storyteller. And he was a minister, and sometimes he, he there was something about him. It was lovely. And he said to me very late on in his life, he said, Bernard, I made a mistake in my ministry. I regret it to this day. I became fascinated with end-time things. I gave myself to study of end-time things. End-time things, end-time things, end-time things. I preached on end-time things. I interpreted the revelation in a certain manner, and so on and so forth. And he said, as the years went by, my soul became more and more dry. And I knew I was wrong. And yeah, I had to repent. And come back to the simplicity. That I had had at the first. Gee this is the thing. It's remarkable. A different spirit that works. That's the thing. And if I go back into the. <clears throat> the chapter 3 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, just to, to conclude for this evening. I've laid the foundation. Verse 11, Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, Straw. each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is if anyone's work will receive a reward If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That's challenging. That's challenging. Because I go to places, you see, and have gone through the years. And I've been building on another man's work. Something's already been laid in that church, in that place. And sometimes, in some ways, I think of one church, now in particular, that just comes to my mind as I say that. And the problem in that church is that the foundation that was laid there was not right. So in the little bit of blessing and help that I've been able to bring in my frequent time spent there has been that I've had to basically tear down in some people's lives. Not Willingly, not purposely, not unkindly. But I've had to see their their belief system crumble to nothing. So that the Lord could begin on a true foundation of grace, 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 grace. Because what had been laid there was works, 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 works. Service, service. Service, service. Ministry, 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 ministry. You're only of use. Where's your gift? Now let's slot you in and use it. And so you got into the busy rigmarole of service work according to often your natural abilities. And they became... And if I was to say this to you, I was in a certain mission headquarters. I won't say the name of the mission, one of the big ones in the world. And I was asked to speak there and sitting at table with the director and his uh, associates at dinner table. And they said this to me, I shall never forget it. It costs us $150,000. American to get a missionary set up on the field. 60% of our missionaries, if they finish their first term, never return. And in some cases, they never finish their first term. It's expensive. What's wrong? They ask me my opinion. And I said to them, two things straight away, they were never called in the first place. Second, they just wanted to do it to serve. Second thing, they didn't know the grace of God's spirit to enable them. So they just couldn't handle it. That's what I said. That's what I said. Did you know 60%? Do you know that there are more pastors leaving the ministry in the United States than being added to it? That's a a statistic. Why? What they call burnout. Men who live by the Spirit don't burn out. Men who remain in the spirit, men who live in the spirit, spiritual men and women, they don't burn out. Yeah, they get tired, but they know the resource. They've learned and are learning and continue to learn and continue to learn that it all comes from him. So they don't try and release some spurious gift in someone. They don't try and build with the things of the flesh. They don't do it, wood, hay, stubble. They, they understand it's got to come by the Spirit, by the Spirit. It's the gold and the silver and the precious stones. So these things challenge us, don't they? They challenge us. And Paul is aware of this in that church, that others had come in and Apollos And others had come in, and that some from themselves, what were they working with? And then he also knew this other thing. That there were some ministers who were going to be destroyed. That they hadn't come from God in the first place. That's why he says this. Verse 16, do you not know that you're the temple of God? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God. He's not talking about ministers that have come from God there. He's talking about those that are men of error. Who come in and were going around the churches. They'll destroy. Those that come and destroy. God will destroy. Everyone understanding that? Everyone understanding that? He's not talking about our friend that I mentioned earlier who got fascinated about end times things and got hooked on that and taught it at Bible school and taught it in churches and then had to repent of it. He's not talking about him. He'd been sent from God. He's talking about erroneous ministers who come right in. They haven't been sent from God. They're not coming from the Spirit at all. And they're they're destructive. They're destructive. I don't know if you've ever met any of them. (laughs) But here we are. Here we are. Building. And I'm building tonight. I'm building tonight. Uh, What am I using? (laughs) On whom am I relying? Who's my teacher? I have to examine myself. I have to examine myself. Paul is going to examine himself a few verses further on which we'll get to. We'll get to them. He has to judge and allow himself to examine himself and let the Lord examine him and test him. And so the church, I hope what I've said tonight brings home to our hearts reliance, dependency, That the church comes from heaven. That you must have that which is coming from heaven. That love is the marrow of the gospel. That love is the substance of the giftings. That the testimony of Jesus is the heart of everything. That it's the heart of God that is being released among men through the church. Whether it's thrown back in your face or not. God sent his son and they threw his son back in his face. He came to his own and his own received him not but those that did receive him. And so This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. It's not about organizational things. It's not about... You can minimize all that as much as is necessary just to keep things working. But love you must not forsake. First love must deepen into maturer love. So that first works will continue. And mature into maturer works. And the gifts that are manifested. In the times of first works. And first love. Will mature into maturer gifts. And maturer things. Hallelujah. So there is a place. In a church. For the the gifts of first love and the ministries that come from first love and the works that come from first love and there's room in the church for works that come from maturer love and ministries that come from maturer love. Am I making sense? Room for us all. That's the thing. And so the church will be built. The additions will come. God will send you and people to you. Some shall come like doves to your windows. Others you will go and find them. They will come into your surgery if you're there, if they will come into your shop. They will come into your neighbourhood or you will be sent into their neighbourhood. And there will be a knock at your door because the Spirit is the worker and you're co-workers with God. That's the thing. So everything, everything becomes Grace. That's how he finishes this chapter. I won't take you there, but he says everything's yours. Everything's yours. All right, I've finished, and uh, I hope it's helpful. Hope we'll say, "Oh, here am I, Lord. Here am I. Don't you love Isaiah?" <laughs> Or Isaiah, as they say. Don't you love him when he overhears God in soliloquy? You know, God talking to God. Who shall we send? Who will go for us? Here am I. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Don't think about it, brother. Don't think about your your so-called gift or sister, your so-called weakness or... You know, brother, you know what you've got to leave, what you've got to forsake, what this and that and what it will mean. Don't think about those things. <laughs> Isaiah didn't. He said, here am I. Here I am. Here I am. Here's your stuff, Lord. Just uh, do it. Do it. Here I am, 76 years old. Here I am, 40 years old. <laughs> whatever it is you, you, you understand that. you understand here am I here am I I just want to learn to, to receive your grace as never before Lord that's what we want to do oh Father in these days we welcome them Lord all things are ours all things are ours days of COVID are ours Amen. Days of opportunity. Days of restriction on the one hand. Days of opportunity on the other. Hallelujah. Days to learn your heart more perfectly. Hallelujah. If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh Lord, we lift our hands to you. We give you praise. Thank you. Here we are, Lord. Here we are. Oh, the blessed assembly of people that have gone before us, men and women. Lord, who have just gladly given themselves just to you and what you want to make of them. Tremendous. Forgive us, Lord, if we've been worriers, if we've been holding our spiritual pulses for far too long. Oh, Lord, help us to be released. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you draw near, Lord, in particular ways to my brothers and sisters? Lord, will you draw near... Oh Lord will you lavish your love upon us all if we left the first love we had and got complicated Oh Lord forgive us Jesus, Jesus, Jesus you're our husband what a thing that is Lord taking responsibility for us Oh Lord Oh Lord